Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another Baseball America podcast. I'm Kyle Glazer. Got another great show for you today. We're breaking down the Blue Jays farm system. And to do that, we're joined by Ben Badler. Ben's done the Blue Jays system for us for a number of years. Ben, the Jays this year broke through from their mini rebuild, if you will. They made the playoffs, albeit in a shortened season, only 60 games. But they were competitive in the ALEs for most of the year, despite missing some key guys due to injury. They made the playoffs. When you look at the Blue Jays top to bottom now, it seems like a lot of good pieces are in place. There's a really, really talented young group of players in the major leagues. We saw some of the young pitchers come up and make an impact this year, mostly in the bullpen, but we did see Nate Pearson make his debut in the rotation. And there's still a pretty good farm system. When you look at the Blue Jays as a whole, where they are as an organization, how do you assess them? I think they they should be able to contend, I think, for a, a playoff spot in 2021 like you said it's it's a good young lineup to build around with uh you've got Bichette Gurriel uh you know T. Oscar Hernandez not quite as young but still kind of in his in his prime years right now uh Kevin Biggio uh we saw Alejandro Kirk uh come up and and show it in some uh in some flashes toward the end of the season uh Vladdy Jr. still I mean he's the same age as like Spencer Torkelson. I, I know we, you know, we have really high expectations for, uh, for him and he didn't quite live up to it. Um, you know, this, this season in 2020, but uh, still a pretty good year for, for a 21 year old as a whole. And uh, I think there's a lot more upside uh, for him that uh, I think is going to start showing up in, in the next few years. So um, yeah, I mean, you mentioned Pearson coming up, obviously, uh, Ryu, one of the one of the best pitchers in baseball. So, um, you know, I, I think they still need to to add more more pitching. I mean, you've got guys like Simeon Woods Richardson, somebody who could come up and, and help next year. But I think they're you know ideally they're going to need to uh, supplement that that starting rotation with some moves this offseason. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what the Blue Jays do. They're obviously a big market team that has very few long-term payroll commitments, so they have the opportunity to make some additions. We saw them re-sign Robbie Ray to a one-year deal after they acquired him at the trade deadline last year. Ray was better for them than he was with the D-backs, but the walks were still higher than you want to see. But I thought one of the things that was encouraging is we saw the Blue Jays get aggressive to fix their pitching staff. Hanjin Ryu, as you mentioned last year, one of the best signings of the offseason. They acquired Tanner Roark and Chase Anderson. Those didn't work out so well. But again, they made the moves to address their issues. They traded for Taiwan Walker. They traded for Robbie Ray. It seems like this is a front office that sees that, yes, there's a really good, talented, young position player core in the majors. But rather than being passive about it and just saying, oh, well, you know, we'll wait for the pitching staff to get here, they realize, hey, Lourdes Gurriel, Teoscar Hernandez, these guys are in their primes. We saw Randall Grichuk have a very nice season last year. 
and you're going to get good production. And I think one of the things that was probably most encouraging was the Blue Jays made the playoffs in a year when Vlad Guerrero Jr. did scuffle for a good chunk of the season and was just okay. Bo Bichette only played 29 games, missed more than half the season due to injury, and they didn't get the contributions they were hoping for from Travis Shaw, veteran free agent signee, Danny Jensen at catcher didn't do a whole lot. So even with some of the guys they're expecting to play big roles for them, scuffling a little bit, they still were a pretty good team, a dangerous offense. They made the playoffs. Rowdy Telez quietly had a very nice slash line last year. I feel like this is a team that they reach the playoffs, but there's still more upside here because Bichette stays healthy. Guerrero gets better and improves a little bit. Jansen hits like people think he can based on what he showed in the minors and these young pitchers come up. This feels like a Blue Jays team that's good and still has a lot of upside in front of it. Yeah, and then a lot of those hitters, like you said, I think we we expect a lot of them to take a, a step forward next year, just getting you know getting more getting more big league time. We've already seen it in uh, you know in, in some flashes, like you said, Bichette uh, not getting a lot of playing time um, in 2020, but that's going to change. You know, presumably he stays healthy next year. Um, there's, I, I think, there's a lot more you know, as, as much talent as, as we've seen and, and production as we've seen from, you know, guys like Bichette and, and Gurriel, uh, I think there's still still room for, you know, guys like that or, or, or Vladdy Jr. or Kevin Biggio to, to continue to take another step forward in, in 21. Ben, jumping into this top 10, Nate Pearson was their number one prospect coming into the year. He made his major league debut. Now he was limited by a flexor strand, his right elbow, but he came back, made a relief appearance in the playoffs, and it was pretty nasty. He struck out five of the six batters he faced over two perfect innings of relief. He was a little bit wild during his first four starts, but you saw the loud stuff. You saw the potential front of the rotation power arm. It just seems like it's a matter of his control. When you assess Nate Pearson, what is the likelihood that he's able to harness this power, throw enough strikes? Again, it's a major league debut stint, you never want to go too crazy in either direction on it. And in the course of ranking this top 10, was there any question about him being number one based on what he showed early in his major league debut? Yeah, I think he separated himself from, uh, from the pack in, in this system. I mean, uh, it's, and it's a really good system too. I, I think it's still a, a top five farm system in baseball. I mean, I really like Austin Martin. I, I really like, Jordan Groshans, but, um, you know, Austin Martin, but in, in really in both cases, even Jordan Groshans too, um, not really a lot of, or not any upper level <laughs> track record with those guys other than, I guess you could call maybe the alternate sites uh, that, but uh, I, even that I think would be uh, stretching the definition of that a little bit. So, uh, you know, Pearson, the, the dominance that, that he's had through, um, you know, the upper levels, uh, and and the front of the rotation type stuff that uh, that he has, I think, was a, a big separator for him uh, to be number one in in the system. It's you know, you know, we we saw the stuff in in the big leagues. It was up to 101 miles an hour. He can get swing and miss when he pitches up in the zone. Nasty slider when it's on, and it's uh, you know he has a track record of, of throwing strikes throughout the the minor leagues. The delivery is pretty efficient for him, so. Um, I, I don't think that that strike throwing, uh, you know, he did have some trouble with it uh, in his, his initial stints in, in the major leagues, but obviously a very uh, brief one. I mean, the, uh, you know, I, I think the biggest thing that brought some pause uh, or, or would be a risk factor to look at is, you know, he, you know like you said, it's an, an elbow issue. Um, he, he's not somebody who has a track record of, 
uh, durability uh, throughout the minor leagues. The Blue Jays have had to manage his workload very carefully. So I think he has the, the stuff to pitch at the front of the rotation. Uh, but certainly I'd like to see him prove that he can hold up over, you know, 150 plus innings over, over the course of a full season. Yeah, with the Blue Jays, as you mentioned, needing pitching, his development will be really key for them to watch in terms of their playoff hopes in 2021. Austin Martin was considered one of the top prospects in the 2020 draft class. He surprisingly slipped to fifth overall. The Blue Jays took him. We're very, very happy he was there. We ranked him number two ahead of Jordan Groshans. Was there a debate between the two of them? Are they in the same tier? Is Martin clearly ahead based on your discussions? How do the Blue Jays see him and, and what is his future ultimately? I think it's I think it's pretty close. Um, I mean, Martin Martin has probably more of a chance to uh, play somewhere in in the middle of the diamond. I don't know whether that's necessarily going to be you know shortstop or or third. You know, he could he could move to third base. He could go to second base. Uh, he could go to center field. I think where he ends up playing probably just depends more on the construction of the Blue Jays roster. Uh, by the time he's he's major league ready, I. You know, I, I like Bo Bichette at, at shortstop, so I, I think he probably, you know, as long as the Blue Jays keep Bichette there, he probably ends up moving somewhere else. But he could he could play a bunch of different positions, but, you know, the main calling card with him is uh, his hitting ability. It's it's a really short swing, and uh, he took some really discipline, disciplined at-bats uh, at Vanderbilt. And, and then again, when he got to the Blue Jays uh, facing, you know, going from facing – uh, you know, college SEC pitching to facing a bunch of guys who have, uh, you know, double A, triple A, uh, MLB experience. It, the, the just the quality of at bats he took there, and uh, you know, obviously the sim games really, really stood out there. Uh, Groshans, I think, you know, he he's a shortstop now. It's it's I don't think he's going to stay there. Most likely, uh, you know, you know, regardless of. Uh, um, you know, who else the Blue Jays have at, at that position, obviously just, uh, I, I, but I think his defensive profile fits really well at uh, third base. I, I think he has less of a pure hitter. Uh, I, I mean, I still like his, his pure hitting ability, uh, but, but less so than, than Martin, but, but with more power uh, than Martin. So, um, you know, I, I think, you know, at this time uh, a year from now, or, or maybe even, you know, by the all-star break next year, uh, you know, we could be flipping the order on them. So I, I do think it's uh, I do think it's pretty close between the two of them. Austin Martin was going to be Vanderbilt's third baseman this year, but throwing strength and accuracy issues prompted them to move him to center field. How much confidence is there that he can stay in the infield? Just because, again, there is a lot of questions about his ability to make the throw across the diamond. And as we saw in college, they moved him because he couldn't do it. Yeah, I mean the the future lineups is uh that's <laughs> it's kind of like a fun toy exercise where we're you know looking at who who the Blue Jays have in in the organization. So with you know with Kevin Biggio, we put him at at second base. Jordan Groshans, you know, has to he's not really an outfielder, so move him to third base. And then you know the Blue Jays are are kind of light on on outfielders throughout their their minor league system. Um, so really Martin kind of just slid in the best, uh, in terms of like I was talking about before as a, a puzzle piece for where he can go to, to put him in center field. So, uh, but I, I do think he can, he can play in, in, in the infield. It's tough because, you know, he, yeah, he had throwing issues this year at, at Vanderbilt and they, 
um, you know, that, that was a problem for him during, um, during the season. Um, but like, again, the season was like a month long. <laughs> so it's, uh, you know, it's kind of one of those things where, yeah, maybe if he had, you know, more time to, to work at it, it, it wouldn't have been, uh, uh, an issue later in the season, but, uh, we just don't know. I mean, he, he was mostly playing in, in the infields, um, at, uh, at the alternate site with the Blue Jays. I know they were kind of working at him, uh, working with his footwork, um, just to, to get him to set up better and, and put him in better throwing position to, uh, to make some more accurate throws. But, um, I don't have, you know, I, We'll see next year. I can't speak with a ton of confidence uh, to that just because there wasn't, uh, you know, the season shut down early and then all he did was go to the, uh, the alternate site. So, um, but I, I do think he has the, the attributes. It's, it's not really a question of uh, arm strength for him. It's, um, it, but it's the accuracy is something that uh, he's, he's going to have to focus on for, for his development to, uh, uh, to be in the infield. Simeon Woods Richardson was the top prospect they acquired in the deal that sent Marcus Stroman to the Mets. Was he in the tier with Martin and Groshans, or was he kind of the clear number four start of the next year? How does he fit in? Yeah, I'd put, I'd put Woods Richardson a, a cut below those two guys. I mean, I think of Martin and Groshans as, um, you know, top, you know, uh, you know, for me, I could put both of them in my top. 25 overall prospects maybe a little aggressive for me on uh jordan groshans but um either way those are two two of the best hitters in the minor leagues uh so i, I would put them a, a cut above woods richardson who um who i like and, and who i think uh uh ticked up a, a little bit this year in terms of some of the development of his uh uh secondary pitches but uh, but I would put him, you know, in a, in a separate tier, a little bit below Groshans and and uh, and Austin Martin. Alejandro Kirk is one of the more divisive players. He certainly does not have the classic look of a top tier prospect, but he's always hit. He jumped straight from high class A in 2019 to the majors in 2020. Hit well, obviously a very small sample, but. He's performed, and as we've always talked about, if you hit, someone will find a spot for you. You were aggressive ranking him last year, where, again, we had reviews running the gamut from everyday player to minor leaguer who will not really have a position in the major leagues because there's doubts about his ability to catch. He did get behind the plate for the Blue Jays a little bit this year. How do you assess Alejandro Kirk now, just given that he reached the majors, hit in the majors, and ultimately what led you to put him in this number five spot? Yeah, like you said, just the, the track record of, of hitting with, with Kirk is, is really impressive. And for him to then go from, you know, it's, it's a pretty big jump that he made too, going from, uh, going from high A all the way up to the major leagues with, you know, really just some – you know, he spent some time at the uh, at the alternate site this year for for the Blue Jays, but uh, it's still a pretty big jump, and and he looks real <laughs> real comfortable handling major league pitching. The you know he he has really good hand eye coordination, really good plate coverage, really good plate discipline. Uh, it's really hard to uh, to strike him out. He he makes a lot of contact, and and he does a uh, you know he's five foot eight. <laughs> he has a small strike zone, and and he. Uh, plays to his strengths he doesn't he doesn't expand it a lot um what I was impressed with too when when he got to the major leagues was you know 
not that I thought he was some, you know, little slap hitter by any means, but he, he was driving the ball with some, uh, with some good impact too, to, uh, to the pull side, to the middle of the field, to, to the opposite way too. So, yeah, I mean, he, uh, you know, you look at him and it's easy to see why <laughs> he's that uh, polarizing type guy uh, that you talked about. Cause it's, it's just not, you know, he's not going to be on the cover of, uh, uh, you know, any fitness magazines or, or anything like that. But, um, you know, I, I think he's, he's a good enough uh, receiver to, to stay behind the plate. I mean, he, I would like to see him get into better shape just, you know, to improve his, uh, just to improve his, his lateral mobility and agility uh, behind the plate. But I think he has enough to catch and uh, just a very strong uh, belief in, in his bat from everything uh, that he's shown throughout the minor leagues, everything that he uh, showed at the major leagues. Those, he has a lot of attributes that, that you see from a lot of uh, really, really good hitters. Ben, Aurelvis Martinez is someone who the Blue Jays spent more than $3.5 million to sign. He joined the alternate site late in the season, really made a big impression in instructional league. Scouts I've talked to have identified him as one of the top performers there. You mentioned in your write-up he had four homers in the first two weeks there. What is Aurelvis Martinez's potential ceiling? Because he's still very young, and, and as we mentioned, the five guys ranked ahead of him are further up the ladder. They've shown a little bit more, in some cases, made an impact in the major leagues. It feels like his ceiling, though, is, I don't want to say as high as anyone else's in the system, but he has a chance to be a pretty special player. Yeah, it's uh, a, a guy who's got a chance to, to hit, to hit for power. I, I don't think he's probably a shortstop long-term. I, you know, I think the Blue Jays will give him a lot of opportunities to uh, to try to stay there, but the, the defensive skill set, I think, projects really well at uh, third base if, if they want to move him there. I mean, yeah, it's, you know, we probably say this about a, a lot of different players, but like, man, I, I, I wish we could have seen what he, what he could have done um, during, you know, during a normal 2020 season because, um, you know, it's, it's hard to say he would have been higher on, on this list because there's some pretty talented uh, players uh, ahead of him, I, I think in you know most systems he'd, he'd probably be a top five prospect in in that system. I mean, it was the same same signing class as uh, you know Marco Luciano and and Noel V Marte, and uh, I you know I'm not saying he's in the Marco Luciano tier of of that class uh, because Marco Luciano is really really special, but I, I know I don't think he's too far away from. Uh, Noel V. Marte. I don't think he's the athlete that Noel V. Marte is, but uh, Martinez is a really good hitter, understands the strike zone, a, a lot of bat speed, power, uh, really good last year in, in the Gulf Coast League as a 17-year-old a and, and uh, was keeping that up this year at uh, uh, Instructional League for, for the Blue Jays. So yeah, he's somebody who I think right now is kind of on that periphery of, of being a a top 100 prospect, and I think we could see him, uh, you know, jump into that top 100 real, real soon. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned the top 100. The top five players in the system are top 100 prospects. Martinez, as you mentioned, is kind of on the fringes of it. It does feel like this is the point where the top 100 candidates kind of end, and we move into the next tier, starting with Alec Manoa at seven. That's at least how it looks from the outside looking in. Is that an accurate read on it? So I, I, I could see, I mean, and, it, and it's tough this year, you know, in part two, because, you know, 
we had a few guys graduate, but not as many as, you know, we normally would uh, churn through a, a normal year. Uh, and we're adding all the two, 2020 draft picks to it. So um, it's probably a little bit harder than normal to crack a top 100. But, you know, I think, I think Manoa and Gabriel Moreno are, are probably like right on the, the cusp of it or, or are guys who could pretty quickly jump into that top 100 by um you know by let's say may in in 2021 just again assuming we have a <laughs> a normal start date to the the minor league season which is not a a given next year um you know manoa was the uh you know 11th overall pick in in the draft in um in 2019 out of, out of west virginia uh big power arm and then and then gabriel moreno I mean, he, he may have been, you could argue he was the top performer for the Blue Jays at the alternate training site uh, this year, uh, but with the caveat that he got there kind of late, so he didn't have quite uh, as much playing time, but he made a real, real loud impression uh, during his time there um, at, at the alternate site for the Blue Jays. Really good hand-eye coordination, uh, puts the bats to the ball, is is kind of uh, made some swing adjustments that, you know, just from watching some of the video uh, that I was able to see from him at the alternate training site this year, you can see the, uh, you know, the difference in his swing from where it was a couple of years ago. He's, he's, he's made some really positive strides there to try to uh, drive the ball with impact and not just, you know, put the ball in, in play like he was trying to do uh, a couple of years ago. So, um, and, and he still has that, that hand-eye coordination to, to make contact, but he is, I think driving the ball with some more impact and, and really, really athletic too, uh, behind the plate. So that's, that's somebody where, uh, you know, I, I think you could argue to, to move, uh, you know, him higher up the list, but <laughs> you know, it, it, it'd be hard for me to move down guys like, uh, you know, or Elvis Martinez or, or, uh, or Kirk or, or Woods Richardson. So it's just, uh, again, it's just, it's just why I think it's one of the, one of the better farm systems in the game when you're, going that deep and, and talking about guys who are, uh, you know, either top 100 guys or, or kind of guys who are on, right on that periphery of, of being in the top 100. And I think what gives a lot of people confidence is we've seen the Blue Jays bring up a very, very talented young homegrown core. I mean, we talked about the start of this podcast, but Bo Bichette, Kevin Biggio, Rowdy Telez have all turned into nice performers for them. Lourdes Gurriel was a bit different as kind of a big-time Cuban signing, but again, guy they brought up through their system, he contributed. Vlad Guerrero Jr. is still doing some good things, although there are things he needs to clean up. And Danny Jansen is their starting catcher, even though he hasn't hit as well as maybe a lot of people hoped. This is a very, very homegrown group, so it does feel like there's a reasonable amount of confidence that the Blue Jays will get the best from their prospects, which does factor into trying to project who are the 100 current minor leaguers who project to have the best major league futures, which is what the top 100 prospects is. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, like you said, it's it's they, they have that homegrown core right now at the at the major league level, especially in the in the lineup. I think the pitching they're going to need to. Uh, supplement whether it's through you know trades or, or free agent signings but I mean you were talking about this this system here I mean uh, you know they have <laughs> you mentioned Jansen they they have uh, Kirk coming they they have Moreno uh, you know th th they have a bunch of different options whether it's you know trading one of those guys trading a guy like Elvis Martinez or or you know maybe it is even trading a guy like uh, 
uh, Austin Martin or, or, or Jordan Groshans. I mean, they have a lot of diff, they, they, they have, you know, really good prospects and, and they have some depth to it too. I think they have some, you know, balance throughout the system too, even, even beyond uh, uh, the top 10 guys, just, you know, from the, I guess, triple a level or whatever we want to call it this year down to the, you know, lower level guys who are at instructional leagues. So um, I, I think we'll probably, uh, you know, you'll, you'll see them bring up some more of these guys, but I think, uh, you know, whether it's to, to bring up that starting rotation uh, through free agent signings or, or trades, they have a lot of different ways they could go uh, to really help that, uh, to really help supplement that roster uh, for, for this coming year. Yeah, again, we saw them be willing to spend money giving Hunjin Ryu the contract he did last offseason, re-signing Robbie Ray. There's a lot of different avenues they can attack this. You mentioned the depth of this system. The top 10 here wraps up with Adam Kloffenstein and Miguel Geraldo. How many other players were in contention for the top 10? Yeah, I think you could go a, a few more guys deep. I mean, C.J. Van Eyck certainly um, – you know, the, you know, top 50 overall pick in, in the draft. Um, but it would be, it'd be hard for me to put him over, say like, like Adam Kloffenstein, who's, who already has a pretty good track record up to the, the Northwest league. And, and then was pitching this year in the, uh, what is it? The, the constellation energy league, uh, just as I expected to be writing reports on that when the, when we came into the season. So, uh, you know, he pitched there and, and saw a little bit of a, a velo bump, nothing huge, but, um, you know, it'd be hard for me to put him over him, put, put me, it'd be hard for me to put Van Eyck over Kloffenstein at, at this point. So you've got, yeah, Miguel Geraldo, uh, but you got other guys in the system. I mean, look, we're waiting for, uh, Eric Pardino, who, you know, a couple of years ago, obviously was, was really, really, really good. Uh, and then last year, uh, I don't think his stuff was at a hundred percent. So you're hoping that, um, you know, him coming back from TJ, his stuff looks more, like it did a couple of years ago than it did in, in 2019. Uh, Otto Lopez is, is playing winter ball uh, right now. Not the, you know, not the flashiest guy by any means, but somebody who's got a pretty good track record of uh, hitting so far uh, position, you know, maybe stretched thin at, at shortstop, but um, somebody who can play somewhere in, in the dirt. Uh, Leonardo Jimenez put on some good strength this year. You're, you're starting to see him be able to, uh, drive the ball with some more impact um, at, at instructional league. And, and you've got some, uh, you know, super young guys in, in the system, uh, you know, like a Steven Machado, uh, Victor Messia, Raquelvin DeCastro, uh, Dasan Brown. Uh, you know, those are some, some pretty interesting young guys lower in the system, but uh, still, still a little bit of a, a ways away and a kind of a want to see them perform more before you jump them into a, uh, uh, a top 10, especially a, a strong top 10 like like the Blue Jays have. Yeah, absolutely. There's there's a lot of talent here, a lot of depth. And as we've mentioned, the Blue Jays appear to be in a good place in terms of a winning product in the major leagues, a good farm system. That's where every, every team wants to be. And now we'll see what steps they can take forward here moving into 2021. Ben, any final thoughts on this organization as a whole? Yeah, so, you know, we, we ranked them, I think, uh, as a top five farm system in baseball uh, this year. And, you know, obviously there's not a ton of changes happening but uh, throughout the season, but uh, not really any major graduations, I, I don't think, off the top of my head. Uh, you know, obviously Pearson's still eligible, and then and you add Austin Martin <laughs> uh, into that mix. So it, it only uh, gets stronger for them. So I still think, to me, this is one of the, 
uh, one of the better farm systems in baseball, which like we were talking about to go with that young lineup they have. I mean, this is the, the window is starting to, to open up for, for the Blue Jays to start to, uh, you know, being serious contenders, I think for, for, uh, for a playoff spot over these next few years. Yeah. Again, obviously expanded playoffs this year, shortened season. There's a lot of factors here, but there is a sense that the Blue Jays, as you mentioned, this was the start of their window opening as opposed to a team that just took advantage of a 60 game season and expanded playoff field. There's a lot of hope and a lot of reason to believe they're on the ascent and uh, we'll see if they can get back to the postseason over 162 games in 2021. Ben, thank you so much for your time and insight as always. We appreciate it greatly. Absolutely. Great talking to you, Kyle. All right, everyone, that'll do it for another edition of the BA Prospect Podcast. Go ahead and give us a review on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, whatever platform you're listening on. We'd love to hear from you. For Ben Babler, I'm Kyle Glazer. Thanks for listening, everyone. Stay safe out there. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today.